Well, church, we are glad to be here this morning, are we not? Are you ready for the word of God? Are you ready for the living word of God? We are in a series called Return and Rebuild, how a post-COVID congregation can find its way in a new world. And today we're learning from the minor prophet Haggai, who was placed right at the end of the Old Testament, this Old and New Testament, 66 books in this thing, but one story. So let me attempt to catch you up on the narrative of scripture before we dive into the book of Haggai. You see, God had invited Israel to live by God's ways and establish and find an abundant life in God. And so the point was that they would not have this abundant life just for themselves, but they would be blessed to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And so a temple, a tabernacle, was built. And it was in their midst a symbol of this covenant. It was a symbol of their relationship with God. And that temple represented God's dwelling place on earth. It was where the presence of God was felt. It was where they came to understand the fullness of how much they were loved and how God was with them and how God was faithful. And it was a reminder that they were to live differently in the world. So Israel became discontent. They became discontent with just this, the presence of God and they looked around at the other nations and thought, well, we kind of would like to be like them. They have kings. And God got sad, but he gave them what they wanted. But eventually one thing led to another and covenant was forgotten and they walked away in disobedience and the people did end up just like the nations, warring, tragedy, the temple was destroyed, exiled, taken away into captivity. And so for 70 years, they lived out those consequences. But in an interesting turn of events, King Cyrus had pity, looked at a different perspective and sent home a remnant of Israel. He said, why don't you rebuild that temple? And a spiritual leader, Ezra, was there to spearhead the efforts, and he says, we've got to rebuild the temple, remember our covenant with God, return to God and renew our ways with God. The people got very excited, and they laid the foundation of the temple, and then enter Haggai. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Ezra, chapter four, verse 24. Thus, then, the work of the house, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, Haggai, and I'm just going to cut right now to Haggai 1. In the second year of the king of King Darius, on the first day of the month, in the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, 
The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of God came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Mm. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes and they are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in them. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You see, the building never actually stopped. Did you catch that? They laid the foundation and they were building and they kept building and they shifted the energy of their building from building the temple foundation to building the foundation of their own homes. And they thought, you know, when it's time, we'll go back and finish up that temple process. And, you know, maybe when it's the right time, we'll return, but I just, we, we can't live on a foundation. We gotta put the frame and the roofing, you know. And, and before you know it, they have spent 16 years trying to figure out marble or granite countertops and vaulted ceilings, 16 years of building their fine homes and not the temple. And so, Haggai, minor prophet, major message. His short book of two chapters comes with one clarion call, rebuild the temple. It's succinct in its timing, four messages over the course of four months, and it's specific to its three members of audience, the governor, the high priest, and the people, and it's spectacular in its one, one effect. Within three and a half years, the temple was rebuilt. It actually occurred. And so we've got Haggai. Let's walk through the story. He's an insider critic as a prophet. It's their privilege to love the people, to be of the people, but to speak on behalf of God. And I love his approach because if I could read behind the lines, I would say maybe he's being a little sarcastic right here. He says, well, well, what time is it, my people? Because um, you seem to be quite interested in building your own paneled houses, your fine homes. What time is it? And twice, he says, now give careful thought to your ways. It's an invitation to reflect. Time out. Time out. Can you critically examine your lives for a moment, what's really important? What are you doing with your time? Now he could just tell them, he could say your sin is really contagious and you're not centered on God's ways and so I think you ought to do A, B, and C but actually he said just reflect. The message puts it this way, take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. 
You spent a lot of money, but you don't have much to show for it. You keep filling up your plate, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty like putting things in a bag of holes. We kind of do the same thing today, do we not? We think, oh, okay, I've got my life all figured out in this tiny, tidy little package. And you know, if I could just put one more degree, I think I'll be really good in my life. And then, you know, if I could just find the right relationship, that will just make my life perfect. And then, uh, but if I could just schedule out the next things, then, then really what I could do is I'm sure that my life will just be full. And, and, and what else could I do? Oh, family. Let me just, just focus on my family, and then, you know, I'm sure that I'll find the satisfaction that I'm seeking. And maybe that last vacation, and one more upgrade, okay? One more upgrade. If I could just attain and get and win, then I'll be satisfied. And church, we keep clicking add to cart, add to cart. And we end up utterly unfulfilled. Has anything changed? Living with a bag of holes? These things in and of themselves, they're not necessarily bad. But the relevant question is, what are you building your life on? What is important? And maybe this afternoon we need to take a good hard look. Think it over. So Haggai's rebuke and his reflection, it actually created repentance like a turning, like a decision to do something different. He said, come, leave your fine new homes because God's home, the temple, is in ruins. And God knew they needed more than just a directive. You know, when you're so far off course, just one good word is not going to fix it all. I think the Lord knew this. They needed the promises of God and they needed a project to get back on course. The promises of God and a project. The promises and the the promises of God would guide them. The project of rebuilding was a process to become the fullness of a people of God who knew God's ways and lived in his blessings. So come, verse 8 says, rebuild the house. Rebuild the... There was a lot of reasons why this 16 years had expended itself. Opposition, and confrontation, red tape... There's a lot of reasons, but I think God knew that, and he was gonna cut through all of them with a promise. I'm with you. I'm with you. One of the reasons why I love studying the word of God is because it's beautiful, even in its written form, okay? So there's this sandwich of promises. Go to your scripture and look at 1 verse 13, Haggai gave this message from the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. And then in 2.14, he 
it ends, sorry, 2-4, I am with you, declares the Lord. And in between the promise sandwich is this incredible ex expertition where he says, the spirit of the Lord stirred up Zerubbabel. The spirit stirred up Joshua and the spirit stirred up the people of God. And then it says in two, 2, verse 3, it says, I want you to be strong, Zerubbabel. I want you to be strong, Joshua. And to the people, be strong. I am with you, and so I will stir you, stir you, stir you. Be strong, be strong, be strong, because I am with you. His promises envelope them before they even begin the project. The promises continue to us today, as a people today, because this temple, it was promised that there would be a greater glory. 2-7, I will shake the nations and, the, and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with my glory. You see, the temple was just a temporary placeholder for the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would come and be that greater glory and we are now invited to build our lives onto the true cornerstone of the true foundation, which is Jesus First Corinthians, it says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? So what did these promises do for the people? Think about their lived history, where they were coming from after exile. Think about your own complicated feelings about the church today. I think they questioned, is God with us in this new era? I think they had tension, can I trust God in the chaos of the last season that I've been through? Maybe they felt shame, we walked away. We definitely walked away. Did my own thing for a minute. Maybe fear, has God given up on us? Is, is faith in Jesus, is that even real? Or is this some imaginary land that people live in? Anger, I feel angry because God abandoned us. I felt abandoned in exile. Or think about the suffering that you're going through right now. Or maybe indifference about the religious establishment altogether can't seem to find a reason to even believe. Church, I feel you, I feel you, and maybe some of you feel this way to today. And so we have to remember and go back to the promise. The promise is, is that I am with you and our feelings and our behavior don't dictate the fact that his presence is with us. Our feelings and our behavior don't dictate the fact that his presence is near to us, it's proximate, it's close, and that the project would not be completed in their human strength. It would not even depend on their efforts. 
Because Zechariah, his contemporary in, in 4, 6, he said, it's not by might, it's not by, by a human hands of effort, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by my spirit. In seminary, I had a choice. I could write another paper or I could choose a piece of furniture and refurbish it and reflect spiritually on the process. So like any student who's totally burned out from reading and paper writing, (laughs) I chose the project. All right, amen. (laughs) This piece of furniture was not cute, all right? It was a long wall dresser. We were broke and it was free. It was like a roadside free dresser, okay? It was ugly, it was solid wood, it was heavy, and it was scratched up and scuffed and the bottom was all broken. And so I was like, okay, I'll take this and start the process of refinishing it. It'll take a couple of hours and a couple of hours turned into a couple of weekends. So I started unscrewing all the hardware, pulling it apart, pulling off the drawers, and you begin with sanding. And you sand, and you sand, and I was really grateful because my dad's a builder and he gave me an electric sander, so I sanded that thing, but then you need to sand even more and you get a hand sander and you go through the crevices. And I was exhausted from sanding, and then came the spiritual revelation. Removing the stain was the hardest part of the project. And I thought about kind of like my heart, how removing the stain from my heart was the thing that I cannot do myself. And how grateful I was that I have a savior who's in the process of renovating my own heart. He's given me a heart of flesh and removed my heart of stone. And so by the end of the process, after I had painted this dresser and re-put on the hardware, it was utterly transformed into this like gorgeous masterpiece. I mean, it was my pride. And you could not pay me enough to purchase this dresser because the project was now part of my person. The project was part of my process. And so, in scripture, fueled by the promises of God and called to the project of rebuilding the temple, it yielded a process to renovate their hearts and it was all done by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. If the first word of Haggai was applicable to us as individuals, how we would reflect on our self-gain and its emptiness, then I would say that the second word is to us as a collective. There's a collective approach here that is sent out to a unit. It is rebuild together rebuild together. So we have some individual responsibility, but we have a collective call. You think about it, individuals, individuals are just taking time to create 
their lives into patterns and patterns become systems and you see it doesn't stop when we're a people just focused on building our own home. A people left to that who just build their own homes and their paneled beautiful homes will have to build a fence to protect that home and then they build walls and then they build empires. And we begin to draw lines about who is in and who is out and who is like us and who is them and the church itself can begin to look like everyone else. A people that scripture says who function like their God is their stomach, their glory in their possessions and their strength in their violence. Mm. The call to rebuild the temple is to remind them that as we build into the temple, we will not build into empire. So church, what is the spirit stirring to us today? What is the collective call of stirring I think it's to be a distinctive kingdom community that is expressing a Jesus ethic of love in the world. And when I think about this Jesus ethic in his home of love, can you picture it? Can you picture that home, that place where you wanna come, the place where we welcome every tribe and tongue and people? A place where you get embraced when you come in the door, regardless of your orientation or your ability or your disability, you are embraced. A place where there's spacious places to, yeah, deconstruct some theology, to have some doubts and questions, and then find yourself in spaces reconstructing and reimagining how to live out this faith together. This house would have corners where, where we sit down and we weep with those who weep. And it, it would have corners where we are rejoicing and celebrating with those who rejoice. And then the table, and then you come to the table, the center point of it all, and you feast on the mercy and the forgiveness and the love and the grace all found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the home that I wanna build my life into. Church, y'all, I don't come here to exchange pleasantries. I don't come here for that. I come to church because I believe and I wanna live into an unseen reality that is coming forth because I believe that Christ is the center of, of my life and what's real is God's work. And what's real is that people are healed in the presence of God. What's real is that miracles take place in the presence of God. What's real is that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. What's real is that Christ is awesome and magnificent and that I want to be so on fire with the love of Christ that when I come with you all, we ignite. We ignite and we show that love to the world. Amen. So what is Lake rebuilding? 
I love that this passage started with reflection because actually, I think it's wise to take a moment and reflect. This is what was before. But we have an opportunity now to listen to the Spirit. What is the Spirit stirring? I don't think it's about building a mega church. I don't think it's about a program. I don't think it's about coming to this campus that we know is hard to navigate. It's like, where are we? I don't even think it's always about inviting people to church. Hear me on this, all right? Hear me on this. Church can be off-putting. I mean, when was the last time you heard an organ in everyday life? It's glorious, it's just, it's a different culture. I think actually what we really need is, is people that get proximate to people like our missional communities, that people would actually come to know their neighbors and that they would love them and that they would hang out with them and then let them experience how Christ has changed you. How Christ has changed you and the church is here to meet a need and we trust that God will make that introduction. And so our call is to center our lives in the living presence of God, Jesus, that you would have an animated faith and then rebuild into people locally and globally an activated faith. I'm so excited that God is doing this work among us and I know that we have more work to do. I just returned from Ethiopia and I had the privilege of taking some of our young adults to go see what God is doing there among the 60, 70,000 strong movement of Ethiopian university students who are loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it was challenging to us I wanted to share for, for um, a testimony of one of my young adults who had an incredible encounter with Jesus. In his own words, he was getting ready to go on this Ethiopia trip and he felt a little bit like, what am I supposed to do there? <laughs> I need a task to do, but maybe by intention, I didn't give Thomas a task to do. It would be much harder to be he wrote, honestly, I felt uneasy because I like being busy. And so I arrived in Ethiopia and yet God did give me a mission. I was searching out a student who might be in need because the church had a gift that we would love to give someone in need. And so Thomas took this assignment to heart. He went and met person after person and talked with them and asked them about their lives, asked them about their families, asked them about their dreams. He wrote, many of the students studied high-paying professions like engineering, law, medicine, politics. I was shocked that many of them were to leave those professions and join Ava Sue, the, the ministry, and teach the Bible after they graduate. They are willing to give up a comfortable life and take a second job on the side just to make ends meet. Now Thomas himself shared with our team and gave me permission to share that he has felt a great burden 
to take care of his family and to work in such a way that he could shoulder the responsibility of financial provision. But as he listened to their stories, he felt the Spirit say to his heart, don't worry about your parents because God will take care of them. He continued sitting and wrestling with God over this, but he said, I became to sense the burden is no longer for me to carry alone because God will take care of my parents. And so the liberation of my soul doesn't stop there. The foundations of my responsibilities are no longer upheld by insecurity, fear, and obligation, and survival. There is much peace and confidence for me to follow Christ. And even though it's uncomfortable, God is walking with me. An everyday decision of how to build your life into Christ. Church, let's take Thomas's example. Let's reflect on the things that are holding us back. Let's give ourselves into the decision to say, we want to animate our faith in Jesus and then say, God, take that offering and activate it into the world, into the world. Let's pray together. Oh God, we have not always sought your spirit in the building up of our lives and even the building up of this church. We confess we need you. But Lord, even so, you bring your spirit to speak to us and your promises say, I am with you. I am with you. So God, give us a great hunger and desire to live for your divine purposes instead of our disposable dreams. And let us see that as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all these things are taken care of. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.